The following program is intended for mature audiences. You're listening to Bottom Shelf Recording Talk. Sounds boring. Oh my, yeah. With your hosts, James Seabrook. Okay, you were paying attention, but the idea is clear in my head, but translating it into English is not. That's brutal. I understand the hypocrisy. And Joey Roach. I don't even know what you do. I was just told you were the man. Some people would say I'm overconfident. That could be my ego talking, though. I'm trying to think of the right word. Oh. Yeah. Must be a tough word. Next subject. Uh, you're bored with this one? You don't hear us gassing on about it. Give you in the horn. I don't think it means what you think it means. By the way, you know, when you're when you're telling these little stories, you have a big mouth. Here's a good idea. What are you even talking about? Have a point. Why are you airing personal matters with complete strangers? It makes it so much more interesting for the listener. Oh, just in the nick of time. Yeah, I, I <laughs> thought I was going to have to stumble there and be like, so this is episode 100 and something. something. <laughs> James knows. I don't. <laughs> I always have it written down right in front of me. I'm very well, impressed with your with your thermos. It is yeah. very large. It looks like it was like the best coffee like $45 I've ever, well, maybe not ever spent, but. What's well, the Tim Hortons thermos even? Yeah. It, it, it keeps coffee warm for like hours. I tested it out one day and mm. uh, I think the record was 10 hours later, it was still warm. That's fantastic. Yeah. Did the, did the coffee still taste any good? Uh, like it was getting to that point where it was like just above room temperature. Mm. Right. Right. I know so, my old man won't drink coffee if it's older than older than two hours. Um, well, this coffee is only... How long has it been? Two hours. Okay. Yeah. Is that your bus ride? Two hours to get here? No. No. Okay. No, just... That's when you make I, coffee. I, no, the, the coffee was... The coffee is automatically made at 7.15 every day. Oh, really? Yeah. You have it, one of I those? do all the prep Oh, you, you, when I'm... You're still using that old coffee pot I gave you, right? Yeah. Awesome. I'm not going to stop using it until it breaks. Because <laughs> that's the kind of person I am. <laughs> and and, and I, then when it breaks, I'll probably still use it. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, I'll get my zero dollars out of it. Right. Or however much your parents paid for it, which I'm sure it has paid for itself. Uh, and when then they, some. When they bought it in the 80s, I'm sure they paid $75 for it. Something like that. And they probably got years of use out of it. And you got years of use out of it. Yeah, they used it. They used it up until, I don't know, 2002, something like that. So um, it paid for itself. Absolutely. Absolutely. Of course, they were, they were also the nuts that kept their coffee grounds in the fridge to make sure they stayed, or in, in the freezer to make sure they stayed perfectly. Um, it works. Yeah. But I usually grind my beans like the, when I'm oh. using them. So I do occasionally have like <coughs> too much and I have like this tin that I put my, my extras in mm -hmm. so that, you know, on those days that I'm too lazy to grind up any beans i at least have enough for like a pot of coffee or something that's one of those making coffee i think is one of those essential studio skills like lots of people talk about you have to be able to you know properly set up a microphone and you have to understand gauge gain staging but can you make but a pot can of coffee you make a pot of coffee that tastes pretty good my key this is this is my key to to coffee that tastes the best to me mm hot water going in which when you're setting it up the night before that's it that's a like bigger challenge but lukewarm yeah by the time it gets started so what's well, room temperature by the time it gets started because it's oh yeah i at guess least it four be... hours later right oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> i'm usually or the last couple of days anyway i've been uh as i make myself dinner i've been also prepping prepping coffee, coffee. that's fair And then I just have to make sure that I flick the things around so that mm. it will be on set to automatic. I should set this one up here to start brewing a pot of coffee at 9 a.m. or quarter to nine or something. Yeah. So that when we're, when we're showing up, it's ready. Although we need coffee. Roland, this is definitely like studio recording talk. 
Um, <laughs> well, it's Roland, coffee. You need coffee in a studio. <laughs> Roland said he was going to bring in the next the next box of coffee, mm. uh, or a box of grounds, and that was two weeks ago. I need to. Um, in fact, I'm going to send a text right now. Bring coffee. Yeah, where's the coffee, asshole? Uh, <laughs> da, 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 da. He was he was talking about. Um, oh, this is really strong. Holy crap! Really strong coffee. <laughs> I, I put more in the the thing mm. than normal yesterday. This is my first sip of the coffee I made today, and it is pretty strong. Not that that's a bad thing. I just it's good. I'm going to be in the washroom probably later. <laughs> uh, had a um punk band we'll get to our, our our topic of the day soon but had a punk band in a bunch of high school kids uh wednesday night and they wide-eyed they wanted to record all of the tracks for four songs in one night. That was their goal. If they could do it, awesome, but well, most and, people can't. And, and and these kids, these kids are, these kids absolutely have that punk rock mentality um, as far as performances go. Okay. You know, get something that is pretty good, but the flaws don't matter. And you know they might do they might do two or three takes of the bed tracks before they before they have one that feels good you know and then do a couple overdubs and and it's like that's it's punk rock it, it that's close enough it'll sound great well yeah. a lot of punk rock guys purposely make themselves sound bad so mm. these guys don't sound bad though they just they're just accepting of well human I, flaws. I'm, I'm just talking about like in terms of like when they're going to a mixer, they're like, "How shitty are you going to make me sound?" <laughs> Didn't you have either you or or one of the other guys here had a um, a punk rock band come to them, a punk band come to them, and turn turn down your work, like didn't want to work with you because you'd make them sound too good and they want i've certainly had terrible. conversations like that okay. but I, I don't remember ever talking to a punk rock band i wouldn't mind working with a punk band but like it would have to be the kind of punk band that would like high fidelity mm. in terms of like recording quality yeah i i really enjoy these guys i worked with them last spring um for the county a bunch of high school kids last year they were uh they were a three-piece this year they're now a four piece. Um, cool. Yeah, good catchy songs, but they're not afraid. This is the thing I love about them the most. They're not afraid to make their songs long, and they're not afraid to make their songs different. Well, you know, it's punk rock. You already have that against you, because <laughs> who in the general public is listening to punk rock? Well, they're they're more. They're more like Blink One Eighty Two punk, okay, but and th yeah. that's still not popular right now. That's that's fair. Nineteen nineties, it's the eighties that are popular right now. Yeah, if you want nostalgia. Yeah, right. Although, <coughs> give it five years, it'll probably be the nineties again. Maybe. I don't know. Um, guitars aren't really coming back. They're not going to really be the Vogue thing anymore. Well. Yeah, they're currently not in style. It's ukuleles right now. <laughs> yeah, you were saying that. Ah, oh. But uh, I don't know if you believe, um, I think it's Bono has said that there's going to be a rock and roll revolution or something like that in the next 10 years. Yeah, maybe. It'll probably not be a like in he, he calls it a rock and roll revolution but the reality of what he was saying is more along the lines of like there's going to be a backlash to the um, overproduced or over reliance of computers technology oh, yeah. and it's yeah. going to be more about performances and you're already kind of seeing that in the underground scene mm -hmm. where it's it's about the performances not how good can you make it sound in the studio? Right. And so 
like the next 10 years maybe we'll see bands that are like actually talented people who know how to pr play their instruments really well right maybe I don't know. yeah well one of the things that snookered this band on wednesday they probably would have got all four songs done but um the original plan was to use the studio drum kit but then the drummer 14 year old kid um decided that morning that he wanted to use his kit um but they showed up at the studio without warning me they just showed up the studio with his drums. unhauling the drums and you're just and, going and what's like, going on can, can we use these is it okay uh it, it they ended up sounding they were really well tuned um like the kid came in and like i don't know how to tune my drums do they sound okay uh snare rack tom and kick drum all sounded great the kick drum had this wonderful depth and resonance to it not a lot of attack so we had to we had to manufacture that later but um just sounded sounded really good and with little tweaking the the floor tom sounded fantastic too um yeah i was just uh it added a couple hours of setup to the whole thing it would yeah yeah and and short of that if, if we didn't have that we would have we would have absolutely had all four songs done yeah so i'm looking forward to this uh, and they might be back in might be back in early spring to um they want to do this ep mm -hmm. four songs for some uh some opportunity that they are they want to take advantage of um in february and then they want to come back in the early spring and record the rest of the record um like another 12 songs okay it's gonna be fun and of course they're working with high school budgets right so there's no money involved at all no yeah just whatever their allowance or whatever yeah whatever their, their part-time job yeah they all have gives them part-time jobs or something yeah like um, three hundred dollars every two weeks that they get <laughs> yeah exactly so this this actually this actually ties in nicely to our um to our uh our topic of the day um i wouldn't be able to do this project for this money if um at least in a studio if uh, I didn't own the studio. And today we wanted to talk about the real difference between being a freelance engineer and owning a studio. Mm, yeah. Versus a studio owner. Well, and, and I mean, for me, there's huge, huge overwhelming benefits to being a freelance engineer um so much so that if i if i could go back 10 or 15 years that's I, what you would have done absolutely i would not have i would not have opened a studio i'd open uh, um there's so many there's so many gray areas to that right but yeah i i wouldn't i wouldn't open a i wouldn't open a studio with a big with a commercial space and yeah. big overhead and all well, that stuff my current mindset on if i was to build a studio is i would want it to be like a rehearsal space slash studio emphasis on the rehearsal space right right and there's been there's been guys that have tried that um dustin rogers uh i can't remember who he's playing with now um he opened up a a five room rehearsal studio and the main room also doubled as a recording studio that was the one by by McEwen downtown. McEwen. Yeah, yeah I, I used to go the there. Line. Yeah, and it, it was it was and a pretty good setup. He he put a lot of money dirt into it. Cheap to go there. Yeah, and his and recording packages were were dirt cheap too. I, I never looked into his recording packages because at the time I was going to school for recording and stuff. So right. I just and I've also was recording before that. So it's just you know that's one of those things I I didn't even consider looking at. Right. I just only looked at the spaces and there's like 20 bucks for an hour or yeah it was something like that it was 20 bucks for an hour if you if you prepaid for a number of hours or something like that well like we yeah. prepaid for a slot every week yeah and it only cost us peanuts and so like we prepaid all the time the only downside was like some of the people he had working for him that he relied on being there at certain times didn't actually show up 
Yeah. And that was, was a lot of us calling him and being like, hey, we're here for our slot that we've paid for and we're locked out. Like, I think that was, I think that was one of his, one of his downfalls to that was he couldn't be there as much as he should have been. Uh, and the people he relied on to be there just weren't very reliable. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know he lost, he lost a lot of business because of that. It ended up costing him a lot of extra money and he shut down within two years. Yeah. We started, wasn't... we started up close to the same time. It wasn't know? too long that he was up for and when he went down I was kind of that, that sucked because mm-hmm. you know, I thought that was a cool place I don't yeah. remember what it was called but it was a I, I liked check. the idea of sound it sound check rehearsal studios okay that's what it was called yeah, yeah. it's um, been so long since it shut down but it was a cool idea and mm-hmm. if he could have been there longer like I, he, his prices could have been higher they could have been um, but he still it still came down to reliability right like he would have been, he would have been busy more consistently, which means his prices would have been adequate and could have gone up um, if he'd had reliable people there. But it was really hard to pay someone to be reliable when um, when you can't pay them a lot, right? You, you know, what should have happened is he should have been there seven days a week, yeah, and for for at least the first couple of years, and that was I, I'm pretty sure that was his downfall. <coughs> but he had. He, he tried to maintain a full-time job on top of that. Um, he uh, he had at least one band that he was playing in at the time, um, and it might have been two. Um, there were just a lot of things that... Okay. Yeah, a, a, lot, of, a, a lot of reasons why he wasn't there. I heard that, that like, the story I was told was I, I heard that he got a job as a welder somewhere, and it was paying more than... Which makes sense. See, and I and and I heard through his LinkedIn that he started working as a theater uh, a theater tech at the um, Dow Centennial out in Fort Saskatchewan. Oh, maybe that. Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, I'm both. going by hearsay. So mm-hmm. I just heard he got like it, it, it just comes down to I heard he got paid more money to be somewhere else. Yeah, and he closed shop. Yeah, and, and that's that's really what happened. He, he was losing so much money. He was putting so much of his own money just to keep that place open, right? So Yeah, but uh, I think it would be cool to have a thing like that again where you can pay for an hour slot every week. You have your locker for your band or whatever where, so that your gear is just kept in there and otherwise everybody just gets a cheap mixer with like 200-watt speakers yeah. for monitoring. Yeah. Well, there's um probably even set up so that you can rent direct. Like if I, I was to set up my own mm-hmm. facility, like that's part of how I'd want it. And I probably have like a stash of like 58s and stuff like that so that you could rent those in addition to yeah. the, the room. I've heard rumors that Steve from Blackbird has been in conversations with one of the, one of the um, big rehearsal studios uh, to open up a recording studio in in the facility. Hmm. Um, now, I don't know how serious these these are because I heard this from a very unreliable source. But it would be pretty it would be a pretty cool thing if um, if uh, if he did. I'd be super jealous because that'd be that'd be a direct line to um, lots of potential business, right? So, yeah, yeah. But- that's just my idea is that I would have a rehearsal space of like four or five space rooms or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. Try to isolate them as much as possible from each other. Like if I could afford it, I would put brick walls between everybody. <laughs> right. Yeah. That, that's, and then that gets really expensive. I would also have a recording facility attached to that. Mm-hmm. And well, yeah. um, but I know that would cost a lot of money and be a lot of attention. And I would probably want like a partner involved mm-hmm. with it. The, um, this one, this one rehearsal studio that I'm, that I'm, that I was referencing is, I can't remember the name of it, if they even have a name, but, uh, they built, they took over, uh, a 2000 square foot warehouse, or maybe it was a 4,000 square foot warehouse. It was 
pretty big. Um, and they built, I don't know, they just built rehearsal studios on either side. Uh, well-ventilated, reasonably soundproofed. Um, and uh, and their investment was, I think, I think their loan, the, the business loan they got was somewhere in the neighborhood of 100, 120,000 um, to, to do all the build outs. Okay. Cause it, 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 it was pretty, was pretty expensive cause they wanted everything ventilated and, um, and they wanted everything reasonably soundproofed and, um, and they, <coughs> they make, the owner was telling me that they, that yields them and there's three partners involved. It yields them about, about 60 K a year on a good year each. No, total. Oh, like that's the, that's the, that was the revenue. Um, okay. Um, but on a, on a bad, this year, is after cost. No, that's, that's, that's gross. Okay. Yeah. And so they pay, they pay their, they pay their loans out of that. They pay, um, you, you know, expenses out of that. Um, and so they, they probably each benefit, you know, a couple thousand. Well, I, yeah, I was thinking five to eight a year out of it. Um, none of them, none of them went into it for, for the profit. Um, they all went into it for the, uh, for the, um, the, lo- the love of it, I guess. Okay. Uh, I don't know how that works, but, <laughs> um, but they have, they have been in talks with other cities around the prairies of doing the same thing. Um, and, in, and in having, you know, something in like Saskatoon, something in Regina, something in Calgary as well, all owned by the same group. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, and, and again, the idea is to try to work in some sort of recording facility in there subject to having someone that can run that. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that would be a good business model. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and that was, that was my original business model. I, I, I wanted to have the studio, um, with two, I wanted an open floor plan studio is really what I wanted to have the, all the musicians in the control room all in the same, all in the same space, um, much like Crowtown productions. Um, and then have two rehearsal studios that could be rehearsal slash teaching studios, however you want to work that out. Right. Uh, I thought that would have been great, but I, I couldn't afford the, I couldn't afford the setup. Couldn't afford to build it. Couldn't afford to, to, um, to maintain the costs in the first few years. You know? And that's one of the, that's one of the biggest cons to owning a studio. Uh, is there's so much upfront cost and there's so much up, upfront investment that <clears throat> it it handcuffs your ability to earn an income because if you don't already have the money, you're going into debt for that money or right for, you're yeah. going into debt for that for that cost. And that's such a that's such a a burden to bear. You know, when I, when I open this place and I'm, I'm getting close to paying off all those startup loans. Um, when I opened this place, it was close to a small mortgage, um, to make it happen, you know, between, between paying, paying bills for the first year and, and, um, the initial startup construction and, investment in equipment and all that kind of stuff. There was, uh, it, it was, it was a substantial amount of money just to make this thing happen <coughs> on top of, excuse me, on top of paying bills for the, for the, you know, how long it was, it was three years before I started breaking even. Yeah. It was three years before I started breaking even. Hmm. Yeah. That's where you get your theory of like three years and then. Mm. So I remember you saying something along those lines of like, it takes three years to build a business. <laughs> well, a lot of people say the business isn't really established until you've hit your five-year mark. 
Oh, you're past that. Yeah, I'm, I, we're past seven years now. Working on, um, working on year eight. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but that's, so that's, that's my biggest, my biggest con to starting, starting a, a recording business. Now, now there's a, you and I've talked about this before. There's a, there's always a point as business grows, there's always a point in a freelancer's career where it makes sense to build a facility or to take over a facility. Um, something where you can, you can save money, um, on the money that you would pay a studio to do a project, right? Like you need to rent a studio to record drums. You need to rent a different studio to record vocals. You need to rent a different studio or your apartment or something to mix and edit. Um, and those are the things that, those are the things that, um, that, sorry, those are the things that add up. And there's a point where you're doing enough business consistently enough that it makes sense to build a facility, um, whether that's into your home or, or to take, take on a commercial facility. Um, and, and the cost of doing so, um, is less than the regular cost of renting studio space from a commercial studio. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's the, that's the big, that's the big balancing point. Like what point in your career does that add up? It's easy accounting, but yeah. And, um, in 20, yeah, it was in 2015, the summer of 2015, my lease here came up and we sat down and did that exact thing. We did the, we did the accounting. How much, how much am I actually using this space? And how much would that cost if I was to go somewhere else? Like if I was to shut down the studio and become a freelance engineer. Right. Um, and we took a look at, at my, at my expenses, the, um, the cost of, the cost of keeping the studio open and, and, and maintaining the equipment and so on. Um, and it, it was, it was marginally less than it would cost if I was to rent some other commercial studio. Um, and we were looking at sound extractor and, and audio department and, um, even looked at, uh, Royal studios, um, and, and, and a few others as, as comparables. If I became a freelance engineer and I needed to rent space somewhere, Mm -hmm. what would that cost for assuming, assuming I used, ended up using the studio the same amount of time, you know? And I think, I think at the time I was averaging about 12 days a month where I was using the recording rooms where it was 25 days a month where I was using the control room. Right. Right. So quite a difference, you know? Um, that w- that's one of the factors that led me to start renting out the studio to other engineers is, yeah, I got a lot of days that kind of remember you talking to me about that and saying like the live rooms aren't being used as much as I would like, I'd like to make more money with that. Yeah. Try to, try to make more use of the space. Right. Yeah. And um, it also prompt you to kind of build this space up here a little bit too. Yeah. So that when people are going down or using your space downstairs you could at least have a place to work mm-hmm. some place that i can be isolated and still still you know mm-hmm. do some mixing or do some editing or whatever where i'm not huddled up on the couch trying to balance my trying to balance my hard drive and my my eye locks and all that kind of stuff on, yeah. on my lap <laughs> Yeah. But that's, um, so, so that was the, that was, that was the thing that made, that made the most sense was, was to already have the investment into the studio. Mm-hmm. Um, the margins are pretty close. Um, uh, so it makes sense to Just keep the studio keep, and try to grow. Yeah. 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 And that's what it, that's what we ended up doing. 
But if I was starting out all over again, I certainly wouldn't have built the studio. I would certainly have, you know, made a really nice mix space at home or something. Mm -hmm. Um, although that was at the time I chose to build the studio. I didn't have, I didn't have any place that I could, that I could turn into a mix space. So that was a big deal. But, um, it made sense to, to keep the studio and just try to make more money off it. Right. Try to, try to make more, more consistent use of the space. Um, but if I'd started as a freelance engineer, I wouldn't have the debt that I'd have. I'd probably be making more money personally, um, because I wouldn't have the same expense um, of maintaining the studio. And I'd probably be now close to 10 years in, excuse me, although really I'm close to 18 years in, um, I'd probably be now looking at over the next couple of years, building a space, something that, or taking over a space, something that is um, that will save me money and be worth the monthly expense, right? Worth the sudden investment. Yeah. Yeah. But so here's another, here's another pro to the freelance thing. You're not tied to a space, right? Yeah. Like you've had the opportunity to work in three or four different studios over the last five years, right? Uh, yeah, I've bounced around a little bit. <clears throat> and I, I certainly would have, would have bounced around a whole bunch if I wasn't tied to a place. But I've worked in, I think I've worked in three studios in the, in the seven years since I started this. Um, and it's a, it's a cool, exciting thing to walk into another studio and say, okay, what are we going to make out of this? Plus you can custom, you can tailor the studio to the needs of your client, you know? Yeah. Like if you need a, if you need a big reverberant, um, drum room or, or recording space, you head over to sound extractor. If you need something that's big, but really dry, you head over to the audio department. Um, if you need something that's that's not so big, um, maybe you head over to Homestead or, or if you want something that's, that's kind of in between, in between all three, maybe you head over to Royal, you know, or maybe you just need a small space, but something that has a lot of, a lot of adaptability. Maybe you head downtown to Edmonton. Edmonton's still around? Yeah. Yeah. Doug's, Doug's back. Um, didn't you see in view magazine in December or something like that? He was oh, on the, yeah. he was on the cover celebrating his there. 10th anniversary. Yeah. Yeah. I remember seeing that. I totally forgot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, I just saw something about like 10 years. And I was just like, which one of the studios is 10 years old now? Cause mm. a lot of them are all pretty similar in age with the exception of like some of the ones that have been around for a long time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Even, um, even the auto department is there. Uh, they just passed four years at their, at their space. Um, and, and that studio has been around since the fifties, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, and Stu is just over 10 years at his place. Um, so that's his third, third edition of sound extractor. I'm, I'm told. So there's two previous places, as far as I understand. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. Because I, I think he took I think he took that spot over in um, 2006 ish. Okay. Yeah. Something along those lines, anyway. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so from your perspective, 
from your perspective, what do you, what do you see? Cause I'm, I'm certainly, I certainly know that I'm grasses, you know, I'm, I'm looking at this as a grass is greener type of thing. Right. Sure. Um, you know, like the, not having, not having the debt load that I have, not having the expense of, of running the studio would is super appealing. Yeah. Um, but from your perspective, you still want to build a studio. You still want to have a space that you can turn into something that, that is really yours. Yeah. But with being around people who have owned studios and stuff, I've kind of took my original idea, which was like own a building and do things with it and then realize like just through talking to people who have done that and being like, Oh, it's going to be a lot of money and I'll probably <laughs> be in debt for the rest of my life as a result. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, versus like, or, and it's like readjusted my thoughts into being like, well, if I have, if I can get to a point where I can own a house can convert like the basement or something into a facility mm -hmm. why a house uh, it just kind of makes sense to me at, at this point in time as to like what I'd be interested in investing in in the next couple of years is possibly a house I, I don't see myself investing in a commercial space okay um Partly because at the moment, I don't see myself leaving Long McQuaid. The only way I would leave Long McQuaid is if I could get a career in audio that isn't in retail, or at least right. the kind of retail I'm in yeah. currently. Because I know retail's still a part of the job because you have to sell your services to people. Um, right. But house just makes more sense to me uh, at the moment okay like, is it is it the what what about it makes more sense well i just i'd be making a mixing room and then i could have a live room for jamming with buddies or like if say one of my engineering buddies or whatever wanted to use my space i could rent it out to him for cheap or mm -hmm. what have you um and i can be a little bit more private with it whereas if i bought a commercial space it's a lot more like i have to just have the doors open for everybody to make sure i can pay my costs in but a commercial space considering uh from a from a purchasing perspective a commercial space is potentially a lot cheaper than I'm aware. Okay. <laughs> but I, I would have to be ready. Like in my head, I would have to be, if I bought a commercial space, I would have to be ready to dedicate the rest of my life to just being at that commercial space or doing some kind of version of the first commercial space. Cause probably if, if I was to, finally do take that jump like that that's going to be the job for the rest of the, my life hopefully right but isn't that what you want that, yeah isn't isn't that a nice pressure that you have to you have bills to pay you have this commitment that you're yeah, almost but forcing financially i'm just not in a situation well, yeah. to make that leap right but we're i mean you're not in a situation to make that leap for for a house either yeah it I don't know. House house seems more realistic. Um, at the moment, yes. Okay. What? Um, now, uh, mainly just because of the situation with a uh, uh, significant other. Mm. Um, so the two of you would would go into a house. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. So that that changes that changes the ballpark. You're you're now as a family unit. You're now investing in a house rather than rather than by yourself investing in a commercial space. Yeah. Although I always thought it would be cool to invest in a <clears throat> warehouse type of thing and then build my apartment above. That would be cool. I, I think that that idea would be cool too, but trying to get the city to agree to it and stuff mm. may be a little difficult. You don't always need to tell them. 
Well, I know. <laughs> but that also leads to the possibility if something were to happen, then you get in a lot of trouble as a result. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. And I would try to, if I was to do it, I, I would want to try to minimize the amount of risk I'm taking in terms of getting in trouble and potentially screwing myself over. Yeah. That's why I didn't move in up here when I had the chance. All those early years when I didn't have any money and I was I was losing money the first three years, right? Um, there was the overwhelming temptation to, with this second space, which was just junk storage, overwhelming temptation to just move in. You did have like a man cave up here for a while. I certainly did. Um, and I probably still would if if we hadn't built this, this room, but, um, but yeah, it was, it was a temptation, but the thing that, that, that thing in the back of my brain just kept saying, someone's going to catch you. Yeah. And then you're in trouble. They're, they're going to give you a huge fine, which you can't afford. And they might take away your business license. Awesome. Plus there was, there's a clause in my lease that says I can't do that or he can void the lease too so so there's all sorts there of, all sorts in of that. yeah, yeah. <coughs> which is different if you own the plate if you own the space not that i mean someone i definitely will not be able to own a commercial <laughs> building because i know that that's like millions of dollars to not necessarily i mean well, if, if you... i guess it depends on the space but if it's a commercial condo space like this one here is considered a commercial condo space so it's multiple different own owners that own bays in the building, right? Okay. Uh, and you can buy, I've looked at bigger units than this, not in this complex, but in various parts of the city that could easily move in. Big empty warehouse. So there's you still have to build the studio. Yeah. But um, big empty warehouse for 200, 300,000, way cheaper than... It's cheaper than a house. Way cheaper than a house. Yeah. And then, but I mean, the, 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 the catch to that is of course you have to then invest in your build outs and. Yeah. And so it ends up being like 250 to 300,000. Yeah. Which is still cheaper than a house, but. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then of course you're not, you're not limited by things like ceiling height or, um, or neighbors. In most cases, <laughs> suppose, yeah. Part of me wishes Long McQuaid would open recording spaces. Really? If they ever were to do it, I would apply to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I. There's. There's a couple of. There's a couple of stores down south in the states. Ah, you know what? Lillo's Music in town. They have a recording space in, in the back of their store. Okay. Um, they don't do much with it, uh, and, and it might not even be operational anymore, but um, but for a while they had they had a okay space in there. Um, but uh, like Sweetwater and, and a Pure Something, I don't know. There's, um, there's a couple of... Uh, there's probably more than a couple, but there's a, there's a few studios well, like Universal Audio and those manufacturers have like recording facilities, but they need those for testing purposes too, right? Yeah, well, that's part of what they have them for is for testing purposes. Mm -hmm. And, a lot and of, when they're not testing things, they usually rent them out. So, and, and some of these some of these pro audio stores down in the states have a studio attached, even just for the purpose of demoing gear. Right. And that's kind of, what it, I don't know. I think Long McQuaid could make some money. I don't think they'd make a lot of money, but. No, no. But I think they could make some money from like people who come into Long McQuaid and are saying, oh, I want to record a thing because that happens all the time. Yeah. Who do you know? And it'd just be like, you could then direct them to Long McQuaid recording or whatever. Mm-hmm. They won't do that because they have the mentality of they don't want to cut into the communities. Yeah, I mean, there's, a, there's enough. There's enough recording studios in Edmonton. 
I had a call yesterday from a from a management company in Penticton, I think it was. Um, and it was an actual phone call, not the usual spam emails that I get. Okay. Kind of along the same lines. Um, but it was a <clears throat> it was a music manager that um, him and his company, him and his partners are investing in in local talent around the country and they're they're seeking out people um artists and studios alike uh but they're looking for studios to do that that can do the work for them right mm-hmm. <clears throat> excuse me and um and his one of his closing comments was we, we started talking about the edmonton scene and he said it was just remarkable how many studios there were in Edmonton. He was even convinced there might be more studios in Edmonton than in Vancouver, um, which I'm pretty sure is not true. I'm pretty sure that's a lie because there's more artists in Vancouver, therefore. But per capita, we have like per population, we have, we have way more than, than either Vancouver or Toronto. Well, yeah, I guess. Because Toronto has five times the population and they don't have five, they don't have 300 studios. Um, Do we have 300 studios? No, we have, but we, 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 I think we peaked out at 63. Hmm. Considering. That's a lot of studios when, in town. I know. Like when you consider, when you consider the commercial studios, um, and the, the, the big, the big studios, plus the, the home studios that are trying to make a go of it, you know, and there's always a bunch of them that. Oh yeah. There is always the home studios that are constantly being up and down. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if we have, if we have. Hell there's home studios that aren't even. 45, 55 studios in town. You know? Yeah. That's a reasonable number. Okay. No. Okay. I was, I was more. At a disbelief but of then, that number, thinking like studios then, like this, I would I would estimate because the, the the estimate the estimate for Nashville is that they have about two hundred studios in Nashville, and they're all closing down because they're the not, strip is not all closing down. I know. <laughs> well, the the strip is becoming then, a condo place instead of a then, recording space. Yeah, yeah, sorta. <laughs> um, but then Vancouver. Excuse me, Vancouver, who has what four times the population of of Edmonton? It's a pretty dense city. Has about a hundred studios. Really, that's it. Yeah. Because would have thought that there would have been more because there is more artists there. But that, but hundred studios makes hundred studios makes sense for Vancouver, right? Like you have you have your top ten or twelve. Um, studios they're probably all crazy busy you have a whole big tier of 30 or 40 <clears throat> mid-sized studios and then you have and then you have your 40 or so small studios that that are you know like this or the home studio equivalent of this that are all working and active and that's that's <clears throat> The average studio in in Vancouver is a lot busier than the average studio in Edmonton because of the the, the population and because of the yeah. the the number of artists that head in that direction. Okay, but they still don't have they, they still don't have four times like they don't have two hundred studios. Yeah, you know they Edmonton have does much have like reasonable. a pretty healthy DIY um, music scene too. At least from what I've I've experienced, it seems like a lot of artists are willing to record themselves and stuff. Mm-hmm. Although they're they're fully majority of like the the actual good ones, they they're fully aware that doing it themselves is going to lead to an inferior product. In a lot of cases, yeah. But they're often, but they're usually often also being like, "This is just a demo. I don't need to spend thousands of dollars on it." Well, and then that was I mean that was kind of the genesis of this place, right? Um, when I started throwing the idea around in the band that I was in, we were looking for, we were looking for a studio to record in. Mm-hmm. And we had an, an 11 song record planned. Um, it was on the long side cause we wrote longer songs. Um, 
and we talked to we talked to Turnkey, we talked to um, Edmonton. Um, I talked to I think I talked to Stu. Um, I know I talked to uh, Riverdale. Um, uh, I might have even talked to the guys at Homestead. Yeah, you know what? I talked to Danny at Homestead because he was still there. Um, and and all of the the cost to do our record at the time, and this was 2008, 2009 maybe, um, ranged on the cheap side at 15000 up to oh and i talked to i talked to beta sound that's right i talked to those guys at beta sound um all the way up to twenty seven thousand. that yeah. was that was what our record was going to cost sounds like the numbers i i was given when i probably the turning point of where i went like heavy into recording was i remember being in band and trying to get quotes and it's like a three song demo we wanted to do maybe 15 20 minutes max um actually wouldn't have been 20 minutes 15 minutes at most mm-hmm. and uh everybody wanted like 2500 to 3000 dollars to do it and I, I thought that was ridiculous but even that doesn't seem bad you know like we were we were looking at at a per song point of 1200 to 2000 or more per song, twenty five hundred, I think, per song was the was the higher end of the quotes. Yeah. It was probably the prices back then, though. These days, it's prices, less than that. Well, I, all of all of those studios that I've that I that I mentioned, yeah. all of their prices have gone up since then. Really? Yep. Hmm. Well, good on them. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, I ju- I just think like a three song demo or whatever. I I I still couldn't charge like three thousand dollars for that. Not for a demo, maybe, but... And then that's, like, the quotes I was getting were, like... Yeah. I was telling them, like, I'm just trying to do demos. Like, we're not looking for anything. Here's an interesting Here's an interesting thought, um, a point that I struggled with for a number of years. Still probably struggle with it. There's this idea that a studio or a producer or an engineer, probably more accurately a producer or engineer, is only comfortable with a certain level of quality of work. You know, like I could see I could see a number of engineers that I know not being willing to work with this punk band that I'm working with because they don't have they don't have a reasonable budget to do a professional sounding um, recording specifically performance wise. Mm -hmm. And so they don't, um, so, so they wouldn't work with them, you know, and, and they would, I I could see someone saying, I'm not going to, I'm not going to work with you unless you come up with this level of budget, because that's what it's going to cost me to give you the product that I'm well, a lot of what's going on in the internet, in those communities, like the engineer communities is like, don't work for people who don't want to pay you what you're worth. Yeah, but it's not it's not a matter of what what it's worth. For me, it always come down to <clears throat> how much time are you willing to put in for yeah. that much money, right? Well, no, I understand what you're trying to say, but I I think people are getting lost in the idea of what you're worth, and then thus they're not willing to but pay for the quality of work that you want to work at. I'm I guess I'm not talking about about the the worth I'm, I'm i'm talking about the the end result and how that reflects yeah. on the engineer and i'm kind of talking about that too okay. i'm saying that a lot of engineers are probably getting lost in the in the train of thought being like oh you're not paying me what i'm worth because i can give you a product that sounds really good but in reality like the budget you're asking for the end result isn't to be that that high end of quality type of thing it maybe is to be on the mid to low end quality spectrum and thus should cost less. So are you... So like the engineer themselves is saying like, I'm going to put a ton of hours and make the sound really good. And I want you guys to like record the songs like 10 times 
over and over and over and over and over again. But in reality, maybe their budget doesn't afford for that and they're not adjusting so that they could work with this band. Gotcha. I think that's what's going on. Okay. Because I, 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 I always looked at it from my own perspective is, is how much time are you paying to, for me to put in to the work? You know, like I'm, I, I, I'm now $45 an hour. And so how many, how many hours do we get out of your budget for $45 per hour? Right. And that's how much time we'd put in, you know, that was, that was my old mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, I will work as much as your budget allows and whatever product we get is what we get. And I think that's, I think that's partly why, partly why I look back on some of these older projects that I've done and say, eh, I probably should have done better, but I stopped working when the money ran out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I don't know. Whereas, I don't think whereas, that's a bad train of thought to have as long as, you know, the client so knows like that's exactly what's going to happen. But I, but at the same time, like this, this punk band, I'm, I really like these guys. I like these kids because they're kids. They're less than half my age. Um, I like these kids. I like their, I like their commitment and I understand that they don't have money. Yeah. I understand that, especially the one, every dollar that he earns is going into this project. And so I'm, I'm willing to work for, I'm willing to put in more work than I'm getting paid for to make sure that it's, that it's going to turn out to be something that I'm proud of. Yeah. Um, There's always those projects that do come where you do end up putting like all the Onan projects I've done. Like yeah. I, I'm pretty sure I'd every one of those projects I lost money on if I were to actually like crunch right. the numbers versus what I got paid, which isn't very much. In fact, like the first record I did with him, I didn't get paid anything. Right. I don't remember which projects I did get paid for. <laughs> I just kind of got money from him every now and again <coughs> and continued yeah. to work with him until he, he just stopped working with me. Mm-hmm. Although he hasn't been producing music so for the last couple right. of years, that's too bad. Yeah, whatever. He's got health things to worry about. Ah, that's always a good reason to reduce your focus. Yeah. Well, he was dealing with it when I was working with him. So yeah. hey, here's a. <clears throat> this is a this is a totally different tangent. Um, this just popped into my brain. Um, I recently had a conversation. Um, about a band that fired a member or I had a conversation with a band that just fired one of their members Um, or there was an amicable split or something. But how do you feel as someone who's gone through interesting (laughs) um, band turmoil? Oh man, (laughs) my music career is all sorts of messy. Like I hear all these stories of like people being like, oh yeah, being in a band is fun. Nobody's, everybody's just having a great time. And it's just like, man, why do I get the shitty bands that it's like, it sucks being in the band, but I get money. (laughs) (laughs) So I stick in it. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I, um, I played in a band not too long ago. I played, I played bass and I wasn't super into the music, but I really enjoyed the singer and the drummer. I really, like, I just really enjoyed hanging out with them. And so I, I wanted to be in the band, um, because of them, mm-hmm. right. You know, and, 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 the music was, the music was actually fun to play. And I, I got to sing a lot of backups and stuff. Um, but the guitar player they had at the time was this super awkward and, kind of negative guy ah don't even have time to tell a story anyway i left the band because of him but then he got fired and then both of us got replaced and i'm i'm just really sad (laughs) i I, I would still want to be in the band anyway i guess it was a good show we stayed on topic for once we'll try again next week (laughs) follow our hosts on twitter at two bodies of water got that mic in a comfortable spot yet i'm still working on it at joey r engineer 
like I can't even talk. I don't remember what my point was. This is a boring podcast. Um, I realize at the end of this, we didn't introduce ourselves. On to the internet you go. Go switch off.